I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Off the Beaten Track podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Let's talk about today's episode. It's with Damien of OK Go. Um, this is a fascinating chat. Um, it's recorded um, remotely during lockdown. Um, Damien was at home in LA um, recovering um, from COVID. And uh, it's a fascinating story. We, 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 we talk about um, that at the beginning and, 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 and the record that's come um, out of that situation as well. Um, and we talk so much. Um, growing up in DC, uh, we talk about Fugazi. We talk about all the stuff that was happening around DC then. Um, it's fascinating stuff. We then move on to kind of sub pop and we talk Prince, we talk Depeche Mode, we talk so much stuff. It's a really, really good chat. Um, I think you're going to love it. Um, before we get on with it, I just want to say thanks to Scribbius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, also, thanks to 76 for producing this. And if this is your first time listening, um, go and have a rummage in the archive um, because you'll find... About 120 episodes now of pod chats with some of your favourite musicians, producers, comedians, actors. Go and go and have a little look about and see what you can find, and I'm sure you'll find something that um, you're going to enjoy. Um, if that's not enough and you've already listened to them all, thank you. Um, but there's also a Patreon page, and so you can support the podcast um, by signing up over there. And I also put standalone episodes out each week over there. Right. I mean, you can find out about everything at com. But let's get back to business. Please enjoy Off The Beaten Track with Damien Kulash of OK Go. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, 
they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track Podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we're recording. Um, sitting opposite me today via the means of Zoom in lockdown is Damien of OK Go. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm good, thank you. So where exactly are you? I'm in Los Angeles. Um, it's where I live, and I'm in my home studio, which is where I record. And frankly, lockdown, uh, I, I, I had, I had um, twins two years ago. They just turned two in May. Uh, so I almost never left home to start with. So are they at that point now at two where you can kind of back off because if they learn how to entertain each other yet? Exactly. Um, what I've been told, I, you know, these are my first kids, so I don't really know, but I've been told that that twins are way harder until about three years old and then way easier after that because yeah. they're sort of like on a play date for the rest of their lives. Yeah, wicked. So when um, I first uh, spoke about getting you on, on, on the podcast, I read an interesting story. Um, that, am, I, am I right in saying that you was ill when this, this whole situation started? Yeah, um, the the like late February there there was I guess the first cases outside of China started sort of spreading um, uh, of the coronavirus uh, you know COVID that is obviously um, and we uh, my wife and I both had a stomach bug that was kind of weird but we didn't think anything of it because like it, it, the news was all about this respiratory thing that was mostly just in Asia. And, you know, like there were basically the day that we caught it, um, there were supposedly only six known cases in California. Um, but a friend of ours had been in Australia and we were at a dinner party with him. And two weeks later we found out that he had tested positive and we we're like, Oh, then we can't possibly have it because like what we have is a stomach bug, but it was in fact COVID. Um, so we went into lockdown with our kids for uh, more than a month, actually, because it was sort of like it, it just lasted forever. And um, I, my, my own case was not too bad. I had uh, I had like two days that were really rough. Um, I slept 22 hours in a row at one point. I was just like was completely knocked out. Um, but it was never, I, at least I never felt particularly close to anything super dangerous. Um, I think it was scary for my wife to see me just knocked out like that. But um my wife, on the other hand, had did eventually get respiratory problems, and she had to go to the hospital and stuff. But it, um, she's fine now. Everybody's well. Our kids um, are too young to really tell us what they went through, of course, but they pretty clearly had something. Um, you know, they were fighting off some kind of viral thing, and I can't. I'd be shocked if they didn't have it. Um, but we're all okay now. Cool. It was scary. You've come. 
And you've come kind of flying back at that with um, with a new record, right? Yeah, just the song. I mean, it's, just, it's the uh, the song is called All Together Now, and it was inspired by the whole situation. It's a uh, it's a like you know my my while my wife was in bed for who was like um a week basically that she was, she was, you know, in bed. And there were a few days that were just really scary, you know, like her, her breathing would, would, it's like a weird disease. It doesn't go up. It doesn't just like go up, you know, like a triangle of a mountain and then back down, you know, it's like, there's all these like ups and downs along the way. And you never really know if it's just going to like suddenly get a lot worse. And so she'd be fine. And all of a sudden she'd be, uh, she'd like, you know, fall over twice on the way to the bathroom, 15 feet from bed. You know I mean? It was like, she, it, mm. it, it was just very weird thing. Um, but, you know, having two toddlers meant that, that I was so busy that I didn't have an, a lot of, like, it, there was just the triage of keeping the family running, you know? Um, so that I, as long as she was, seems to be okay, I didn't have much time to worry. It would just be like, you, you know, like with kids, it's, it's sort of the, at that age, at least the job is to basically have a new game ready as soon as they're done with this one. You know, it's like, and a game can be like, we're picking up acorns and dropping them. You know, it's like, it doesn't have to be, in fact, it can't be complicated, but if you don't have one ready at the minute they get bored, then it's just like all hell breaks loose, you know? So, um, so it was sort of just like trying to stay one step ahead of them. And then every once in a while, I'd sort of realize like, you know, I, I haven't heard from Kristen in like, three hours and she she you know usually her naps are only two ah you know you start to freak out um but other than that it was like uh it just felt it felt like it wasn't in either of the two movies that i expect uh, i expect the like the world ending to be you know like one of them is is the cliche movie of like everybody trying to like scrabble their way off the island because there's only like one spot left on the on the plane or something, you know, like, and the the world was changing fast and everything was falling apart, but it wasn't, it wasn't that it wasn't, it wasn't us, um, you know, suddenly scared of our neighbors and, and worried that the, that, uh, you know, that, that we were dumb not to have stocked up on guns. You know what I mean? It was like, mm. um, and, and on the other hand, there's the sort of like, there's like the slow, sad movie where, where your loved one, uh, gets a terminal illness and, and you just watch like as, as the inevitable slowly unfolds and you go back through life in the sad and beautiful way. You know, it was like neither, it wasn't inevitable. And, and in fact, statistically, it seems pretty clear. She'd probably be all right. We're both young. We probably will make it out of this, you know? Um, but all the same, uh, we're right on the edge of like, you know, of, of the unknown. And when I had to take her into the hospital, she's saying, you know, the, the, the twins are in the back seats and they're in their car seats. And she's saying goodbye to them. Just saying like, you know, daddy's, daddy's going to take care of you for a night or two. Don't, you know, like, don't, don't, don't worry. I'll be fine. And I'm sure she's right. You know, like I'm, we're all going, yeah, of course she's right. But you also know that she's thinking this might be the last time I ever see my kids. And it's yeah, got this, yeah, like yeah. this, it, it's just, it was a very surreal type of darkness where you're like, I, I, this is the most serious thing I've ever faced. And yet it's probably not happening. But it is, but it's not, you know. Um, and I, I found myself when that all cleared up, uh, when we, you know, when she was on the road to wellness enough that she could get out of bed and help with the kids again, and she finally was like, you know what, take the afternoon off. I, I want, 
I didn't want to just write emails. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 I couldn't, I was too wound up to just like sit there. I, and so I started writing this song and I was trying to get at the, the ways that, um, the, this weird sense of hope that comes along. I mean, I'm sure that it was because we were on the other side of this now and I was going, oh, thank God, you know, but, uh, there's also all throughout it. I felt this feeling like, um, it's a little bit like there, you, you, you've lost your fear of heights because you're finally on the ground. It's like, we're all the way down. This is the rock. This is the bottom, but this is as bad as it gets. Like, is this really that bad? You know? And I, I think, um, that man, that sounds awful because there's so many people for whom this is really, really tragic and they have lost people and they've, and there's economic hardship and there's awful, awful things happening, but there's a, there is a silver lining, which is like, all of a sudden the world seems to care about what's important or at least a lot of the world does. And you watch the civil unrest on playing out in the U S it's it, to me, it feels like a, a very direct response. Like, um, that when you know we've had these race problems for hundreds of years and police brutality for hundreds of years and yet when you when it all clarifies like this when everybody suddenly has their life flash before them like this we just can't abide by it anymore you know it's like nobody can go on with the bullshit you know like and that uh there's a sort of a, a a reminder of what matters and what doesn't when you when when everything clarifies like this and there's a it makes me hope at least that this has sort of brought the world together in a way where like now we realize how connected we are. Nobody can ignore climate change after something like this, right? Like now we all see that like one thing on the exact opposite side of the globe can get to you in six weeks, you know, like it's a tiny world. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. Let's start your playlist. Track yeah, one, please. <laughs> <laughs> all right the song uh, with the greatest ever intro that's what i want to know all right well I, I i chose for the song with the greatest ever intro um uh, a classical piece by franz list it's oh, okay. les preludes you, you know you know it's a it's a um it's a it's a gorgeous romantic piece that starts with just um just the bass going thump silence it's like this quiet, beautiful, slow introduction. And I remember learning uh, that that was actually sort of a radical move because um, the, the, the sort of chamber music that had preceded this era was so often played to rich people who were like, who were, you know, in the middle of a, a, a party of some kind that they had to start loud. They always had to be like, ah, we're playing, you know, shut up, we're yeah. playing. And, and this was like the era of music becoming a um, becoming high art, and so it was. It's sort of a, a symbol of the fact that like he knew people were going to be sitting in their seats and just listening, right? Like they're just um, they're everybody's just like silent and all, and like you can just say like, I mean, it's it's gorgeous. It's also lets him go from absolute zero to these huge heights you know it's like the the piece is about 15 minutes and it's it is it's uh, it's like the most breathtakingly gorgeous thing by the end um and it it it's like it's a it's a lesson in songwriting in the sense that it um it there's no point at which you're treading water you know but there's also no point at which you are like lost and going like why why is he taking all these left turns um i I, a friend of mine's mother was once 
on vacation in the Caribbean somewhere and saw uh, um, saw Mick Jagger sitting at a table. I was like, I know this is lame. I can't, but I can't not go up to him and ask this question. She went up to him and goes, my son's an aspiring musician. Do you have any advice for him? And he, he sat, he wrote, he took a napkin and wrote out a straight line and goes, most people write songs like this. Tell him to write songs like this. And then he draws a little line at an angle. Like it goes from, you know, nothing to a hundred. He's like, that was his, that was his advice. Don't let your songs be static. And it's, it's like the best songwriting advice you can possibly have, which is just like a groove is not enough. It's got to take you somewhere. And this list piece is like, that, that's, that is, it, it, it's the longest distance I've ever tra- traveled in a piece of music. It's beautiful. I mean, if you're going to get advice, you might as well get it from Mick Jagger, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Although I will say um, to all the moms out there, don't don't walk up to Mick Jagger and bother him. Poor guy's on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Damien, track two. The first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you? Herbie Hancock's "Rocket." Oh, amazing! Yeah, I was. Uh, I was. I mean, you know, somewhere between five and seven years old or something. I was going, I, I was, I was going off to a uh, day camp, like a, you know, summer camp uh, when I, my, you know, the school's out, my parents don't know what to do with me during the day. And they send me off to this place where they, you know, you like learn how to canoe. And it's about an hour outside of Washington, DC, where I grew up. So you have to get on this bus and, you know, long, long bus ride to get out into the, into the um, woods. And, I remember stepping off that bus and a kid had a boom box over his shoulder. And to me, he was like, you know, the coolest adult ever. He was probably like 12, you know, but like he was twice my age. And, and that sound was coming out of it. it and I, it just, my parents listened to a lot of music and I, I, there's always a background of classical music going on in my house, but this was the first time I had, I was just like, that's not just sounds. That's like, the chemistry of my brain has changed, you know, like you, it, it, it scratched something deep inside of me that, that started that like the course of my life, basically, like now I have to scratch that all the time. And I went home that night to my dad and I was like, dad, I heard this song goes, and my dad, of course, had never heard it. It was just come out. And like, that's like, that's not what he listens to. And, um, but to his great credit, he took me to the Tower Records in DC, walked me up to the guy and said, "Sing the song to to the guy." You know, the, like the teenager who's working there. I was like, dang, 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 dang. and he was, "Oh, that's, that's Rocket by Herbie Hancock." And he took me over, found the seven inch, and that was the that that was my first record. Oh, you kept talking about scratching, and I was thinking that record was probably the first time I actually heard record scratching as well. Oh, it was. Yeah, the, I actually had to buy a second copy of it because. Because of the scratching on it, I, w- I was like, that's so cool. I'm going to try to do that. And I had seen this thing, right? I'd yeah. seen that, that you scratch like this. Uh, sorry, the, the, the hand signal I'm doing is like the, um, you know, you, you flick it, flick it, flick it, flick it with your wrist. And I, <laughs> I didn't realize you were doing that with the record. I thought you were doing that with the needle. Yeah. So like, I'm just ripping the needle back and forth across the record. So my first copy of that record has is just completely gouged because I was trying to scratch on yeah. it, and uh, I got another one and, and and stopped scratching it. So how how, how exciting was 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 that kind of scene uh, for you, Damien? Because I'm I'm a few years older than you, and, and when kind of especially in the UK, we was we was sort of starved of of any kind of hip hop 
breakdancing, graffiti. What you know, we, we would cherish every little bit of exposure we got to that. So if like Beat Street come out, you know, there'd be you know swarms of us trying to get in the cinema to see it. Or so, there was a there was a book in the UK called Subway Art, and if we could get that, it was all the spray can stuff. And and it was it was like especially with with, with tracks like. Um, uh, Rocket, because they charted in the UK, so you know you'd, you'd, you'd get to hear it, and he, he was just starved of it. So, how was it in America, sort of seeing that scene? Like, I, I guess the early, early start rumblings of, of hip hop. Yeah, I mean, I, I it, it, my perspective as a sub ten year old is is um, you know I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't write history based on what I felt as a as a little kid. <laughs> Uh, but I'll say my, you know, I grew up in 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 Washington D.C. And most people who t- when they say I grew up in D.C., they generally, you know, they they often mean the distant suburb somewhere. Um, I lived actually in the city in in the city itself, and uh, so I, I grew up. You know, it's a very largely African American city. You know, it's eighty five percent black, and I uh, it my exp- you know like my daily exposure was just to a, a great racial diversity and it didn't like the sort of street culture versus um my culture didn't i guess i just wasn't aware that they were so different um it it, that sounds kind of silly but but like one of my first like um king of rock by run dmc is is one of the first like really seminal records for me and and uh, you know, it was a, it's a, it's an, one of the big, like, you know, big early hip hop records. And it was big enough to reach a, you know, whatever, seven-year-old white kid, eight-year-old white kid who was not, you know, I, I was in a, a, a pretty posh um, school full of like, not particularly street savvy kids. Um, so it's not like, uh, we're not on the absolute cutting edge of this of this um, cultural movement, but it didn't feel weird to me at all. You know, um, it didn't it didn't feel apart from my world. I remember like uh, um, on uh, they they played the entire Martin Luther King "I Have a Dream" speech on the radio one morning, and I remember trying to like mouth the words to it in the mirror, being like, "Someday I'll say wonderful things like this," not like realizing how. I, like my authority on that would never like I can't ever be Martin like it's not me who's being oppressed here you know like it just it didn't that kind of cultural racial divide wasn't that apparent to me um, and I, I would say that the like let me try to think of a better way to say this the an, other early records for me like that were um, were catching up with the Pesh Mode which is like that first um, that like that first greatest hits by them you know and and Purple Rain by Prince. And I'd say, like, if you think of, of what connects those three th- albums, like, none of them sound like they were made by humans at all. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, what, What's the Depeche all, Mode album is that? Uh, it's Catching Up with Depeche Mode. I, it may not even been released that way in the UK. It was, a, it was the greatest hits that came out right after uh, People Are People. Um, right. So, is like, the, their the early... White, the white Gatefold album with all the photos yeah, on yeah, the side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right. Um, and and so it was basically all de- the first ten years of de- or five or whatever years of Depeche Mode hits, and it was just like all completely synthetic. Obviously, the Prince, the Prince, you know, Purple Rain is not synthetic at all, but it's so virtuosic that I didn't even he- I, the, to me that didn't sound like guitars and basses and drums. It was just 
otherworldly stuff, you know, and yeah. there's, there's humans singing in front of all of this, but the, the backing music of Depeche Mode sounded like robots and outer space. And, the, and Prince is like a much groovier, funky version of a different outer space. And uh, run DMC was like just these hard, amazing beats, but they were like not played by instruments, you know? And so I, there was nothing to say, look, this, this side is hip hop and that side is, is like, you know, very effeminate British white music, you know, like it was all just like robots making cool sounds. Love it. Love it. So that emotion you got when you heard um, that track, what was it? Uh, the, uh, the were, um, uh, rocket. Rock, right. It was just um, the best, the best, Description I can say is it sort of felt like um, biting into a lemon or like lemonade, maybe like it was like tangy, you know, it was like my ears hadn't um, my ears had heard like things that felt pleasing before or things that felt loud or quiet or whatever, but they hadn't felt something that was like propulsive, you know, that was like that was like had that made me feel like a kind of like electric like a like need to move sensation you know um it it's i still you know obviously still can't describe it very well it's just like the that's the amazing thing about music is it, it goes beyond logic like it can make you feel things that that you that no ramble on though i do like my words will never ever ever get there you know it's like you can feel totally opposite emotions at the same time and feel them stronger than you could ever feel if you tried to think your way to them, you know? Well, I guess while we're talking formative years for track three, um, that sit quite nicely there. And that's the song that reminds you of your time at school. Repeater Fugazi. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. Good one. Right. I mean, I, I, so I grew up, you, I've, I've now given you the, the records that were sort of my junior high introduction to music and, I, um, growing up in DC, I was lucky to be there when, uh, when the DC punk scene was having its sort of like, uh, golden era. And it, again, it, like, I didn't know anything else. I just, it was, it was sort of like Prince was too perfect. It was the best thing ever to listen to, but I never thought I could make it, you know, um, until, until like there were, there were punk shows in, like in churches and in, you know, rented churches and uh, high school cafeterias and stuff. And it was like these punk bands were like, they couldn't play their instruments all that well. Like it wasn't, it was all of a sudden extraordinarily human. It was the exact opposite of those three records I was just talking about. Like it's, it was just like, Oh, like you don't need to be a genius, like at playing these things. You just have to be expressive. Like you just have to be able to like the rage and, and angst and, and sort of like confusion and excitement and power that I want to feel in life. Like it's all right there. And like, it's not because he's been, he's a virtuoso. It's because he's a, he's like both a human and a rock God and uh, repeater came out uh, when I was in it was my first, first year of, of, uh, of high school, ninth grade. And um, it's just like that whole album rolled over me like a steamroller. I mean, it's incredible. Mind blowing. So, so, so tell me what those, I mean, 
like growing up in DC and being exposed to that kind of moment. I mean, you know, people in the UK, you know, we we read about that. You know, we watch documentaries about that. How was it sort of being in the middle of it as a as a and as an excitable young man? Like, I mean, I guess I'd say that like again, my dis- my perspective is so distorted that like I didn't realize those people were only five and ten years older than me. You know, I, yeah. if you're fourteen and they're they're 24. Well, they're adults, right? I mean, they're clear, like, those are grownups who do this. You know, you're not like, oh, they're just like, they're, they're slightly older kids than me, you know? And, um, it was, you know, like most of this, most of the shows happened in there, there was like two clubs, three clubs kind of where they happened and a, um, and a lot of rented churches, like, especially in the, uh, black and Hispanic parts of town, there were, there were churches that would on the weekends, that's how they, they make extra money was to rent the place out as a, at like to have these shows. And Ian Mackay, who is a singer in Fugazi, or one of the two singers in Fugazi and in Minor Threat, and he started the record label Discord. He was my absolute idol. I mean, it was sort of like, uh, I, he kind of ran that scene. He was very, his loud voice about politics and about righteousness and about, um, uh, anti-commercialism and, and sort of about um, all these punk ideals was very much the sort of guiding light for that scene, at least as I experienced it. Um, and some of the things that he did that, that completely changed my life were that he, like all shows were all ages and all shows were five bucks. All records were, I think seven bucks and all CDs were eight bucks. And that, that's how his label ran. And it kind of meant that everybody else had to run that way because you like all the bookers and, and promoters in DC, you couldn't bring in a, a punk band from Southern California and say, Oh, this is a 21 and up show, or this is an 18 and up show because that's not how it ran in DC. So bands, I mean, I remember like, uh, you know, bands like even like the chili peppers and stuff would, would come through. And my friends who, who I, who I knew from other places, they couldn't see bands like that because they were, because they were always 18 and up or 21 and up shows, but for in DC, they're all ages, you know? And like um, the fact that all this, that they were all like, there are all these sort of like uh, kind of countercultural rockers who are flooding into this scene. They're all in their twenties and I'm, you know, five and 10 years younger than them. And like, uh, they had too many bands for the clubs. So it was sort of like they were all overflowing into these like cafeterias and backyards. And, and it was just sort of like every weekend there was a show every night, um, uh, most weekdays too, but I wasn't usually allowed to go to them because of school. Um, and they, and, uh, you know, another, another big changing moment, um, another record label there, simple machines as a release put out a, a dollar fifty, you could pay them to give you uh, a. I think it was a, a four-page booklet on how to put out your own record, and it had the last page of it was all of the all of the phone numbers and contacts you need to know. It's like there are two pressing plants still left in the U.S. Here are their phone numbers. There's one mastering plant that everybody uses. Here's their phone number. Here's what you will need to budget for the most minimum you could spend to make a seven-inch would be about six hundred bucks. And like they just laid it all out for you so that anyone can make their own seven-inch. And so I did. Like I started putting out seven inches for my friends' bands, which were, um, you know, uh, I would say not just because they're mine, but they're objectively bad music. Like it was not, they were not good records. They were not, I didn't run a good record label, but the fact that a 15 year old kid 
would just see his idols like saying, oh, here's how you do it. You know, Prince didn't ever tell me, here's how you do it. Run DMC never came yeah, to me and yeah. said, here's how you do it. Depeche Mode never said that. But these people were standing right in front of me. And as soon as they were done on stage, you could walk up to them. They're right there. You know, it was like, um, and it was, uh, it really inspired us a, 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 I don't think I would otherwise be making music. I would think I would still be an avid listener, but not realize it was something I could do. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links. On. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All the social media accompanying each episode, so you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. I guess while we're talking records, um, track four, Damien, is the first record you remember buying from a store. Well, the truth is that is Rocket by Herbie Hancock. But if okay. um, but I, I, if you want to go full, we could do full albums. I, yeah, I, let's I, do it. Let's do it. Two in the same day, which was Purple Rain and, um, and She's So Unusual. So Purple Rain Prince, obviously, She's So Unusual by Cyndi Lauper. Um, and if I had to pick one song off of those two albums that, that changed me the most, I think it's Darling Nikki from, from Purple oh, Man, do you know what? And the thing is as well, it's like, that's the track that obviously, you know, as a young boy, when I first heard that, when you start hearing about like masturbating, you know, it's like, whoa, this is like, this is naughty. And that was the yeah. track that just jumped out. But you listen to it. You know, as your ears, you know, start to get wise to like, you know, music a bit more. Like, it's just 
It's just a fucking incredible record, darling, Nikki. It's just it amazing. Is. It's so, so good. I mean, it's, um, I, I spent most of my youth playing with Legos with headphones on and listening to the albums that I have so, you know, discussed so much here and Purple Rain just on repeat, you know, and that record, I just didn't know, like, I didn't really know what masturbation was. I kind—I knew it was naughty. I knew that this was like, I certainly didn't know what grinding was. Like Nikki started to grind. Uh, okay. You know? And I remember singing that song, um, walking around the house and my mom being like, what, 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 you know, like, it, it, um, and, but, it, but the thing is, it's amazing. Like, I, it's like uh, to a new parent, like myself, it's a good lesson that, that, that's your brain doesn't work through pure emulation. Like I wasn't going like, Oh, now I ooh, like dirty, dirty, dirty. I was, I was like the raunchiest part of that song was the, was the way the music felt, yeah. you know, like it wasn't um, like the, the kind of like risque words just felt, I don't know. It, was, it, it sort of felt like, like hip hop later felt in the you know nineties or early aughts where it was sort of like, Ooh, aren't I a badass? You know, it, it didn't, yeah. it didn't, it, there was nothing about it that, felt particularly dirty to me it just felt except except the music which was just like you know so dirty and uh i loved it still love it such a such a great song um so as you got older um did, did record stores become like kind of key places for you to kind of you know spend your days and, and hang out in yeah again because of the dc thing like there's so there's a record there's basically three record stores in the dc area that were that carried all the punk stuff that were like completely up to date um and one of them was pretty close to where i went to high school it's called smash it was in georgetown and i would just go down there and like look through the seven inch bin two or three times a week you know and um I mean, it's, again, it's so funny to me that like it was it was like the, the kids like me, but five years older, but from other little punk scenes around the States, there's like you know, there's a little one in Detroit. There was a little one in Seattle. Then, of course, like two years later was a huge one in Seattle. Um, but like all those sub pop records, I just remember like the sub pop seven inches all had the same format right there's like this black bar with the little it's all written the same way and it's like t- there and you just see the names that like tad and mud honey and nirvana and it was like I, I i just couldn't watch like by the time a third seven inch had come in from a band like tad i kind of knew i was supposed to know about them like i wasn't i wasn't doing it i wasn't doing this right yeah. unless i learned about them and and it was my expectation of what music should do at that point was not like um one listen and do I like it? You know, um, I, if that's how, unfortunately how I operate now, it's like, if I hear something and I don't really like it, I don't really give it a second chance. And I think most of the world does that. And our, our attention span for that stuff is so short, but I remember people being like, you're going to love this band and giving me a record of them. And I couldn't stand it on the first listen. And by the third listen, they're my favorite band. You know, like it just, um, and that would happen. I would get these, I would get seven inches out of that bin and just be like, I don't get it. And listen to it three more times. And if I still didn't get it, maybe at that point, but yeah. um, I, I wish I still had that openness to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I think I just think I, I was going to ask you at the beginning. Um, I, I generally ask musicians this when, when we're talking intros, like um, how they approach that now, um, maybe differently to, to when, they first started making music just in regards to the fact that there is so much constantly, you know, distracting you, whether you listen to YouTube or or Spotify, whatever, there's always something down the side of the screen going, you might like this, press this, look at this, you know? So like, 
you know, has, has it has it changed the way that that you that you write music, the way that people listen to it now? I mean, the the answer is surely yes, but I'm not sure if I know how. Um, yeah, like it. There's you know you're. you're it, your impulses about making music and your and the things that you you can do with your own with, with both your like your musical skill and your and your sort of lust for that uh, that gaping hole inside of yourself that the music is trying to get to um, that all changes so much throughout life that it's hard to know what's that and what's um, what's the world around you. But I'll, I'll say that like it. It is a constant um, challenge to, to be honest with yourself when you're writing um, because the things you think you're going to like or that are, you think are going to move you don't always. And, uh, and yet it's, it's sort of like the, the, the challenge of, of touching something outside of, of um uh, outside of the known, like that's what you're trying to get to, right? You're trying to get your, yourself into a place where it's it's moving because it's not um, it, because it's not obvious, it's not commonplace, it's not it's not already there. It's it's like it's doing it's giving you something that that the that the the sort of like rational mundane world isn't. And so every time you try to like bring your logic to bear on how this should work, you you wind up kind of killing it, you know. Um, and I think that's a lot of why, why you know, first records or like, you know, teenage records are so often so powerful because people are for the first time discovering things that the rest of their life, they can never, they can never do with that same purity again, you know, um, yeah. You know, like we can all we can all learn the patterns of early Beatles records and 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 write songs that follow those forms, but they just won't feel or sound that way, and they won't do the same thing to culture, and they won't do the same thing to us. And and getting uh, getting myself to um, to feel like something it bo- is both taking me somewhere new and speaking a language I I readily understand is it's a it's a it's a crazy mirage because. Sometimes something feels like awesome because it's novel, but that has no emotion to it. And sometimes something feels emotional because it's like it's it's um, playing on a cliche that's been done a million times. And so it, it dies immediately. It's like you love it the first time and you can never hear it again kind of thing. And, and, and you really it's very hard to know as that's going by. And when it comes to things like the like how somebody else is going to hear it, I, I almost have to just be like, uh, who? Who knows? I don't know. By, by the time this song even gets out, the way that people will listen will have changed 10 more times, you know? Yeah. Okay. So I'm interested for track five, which is um, where I ask you to tell me the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. Um, so I'm interested to know what, what a young man in the midst of the, the DC punk scene does when it comes to to clubbing was it rock clubs was it dance clubs what was what was going it was, on it was, was that was definitely rock clubs well i so what i'm the the clubbing in dc was was rock clubs that's for sure uh i didn't get into like what is more traditionally thought of as clubbing until i uh until i was in college i my um my junior year of college i spent in london 
Um, and I worked at a, I, I worked at a posh gay bar there and, uh, the DJ there every night spun closer than close by Rosie Gaines. You remember that song? Of course. And I, I like didn't, I, I did not care particularly for like house music at all or like dance music at all at that point, but that song got under my skin so much and it's like you it's hard to find in the states actually it's like never it never made it over here at all um and uh it, it was like it, none of my friends had ever heard it when i got back and that was about the time that like sort of like techno and and electronic music started to go a little more mainstream in the states i'd had friends who were into it um that sort of like the the kind of punker version of the kind of like skinny puppy ministry version of it um it, uh, you know in the 90s but i never really like I, I i didn't pay it much attention until around then and that song had a lot to do with it so that version of clubbing that's my song um, rock clubbing rock clubbing um i would i mean it's probably back to fugazi again i'll, I'll give you for, for rock clubbing i'll give you shudder to think um the uh the f- what Shutter to Think album really did it for me? Uh, I I would say um, let's go with uh, with uh, with the for, for Hit Liquor Hit Liquor by Shutter to Think. It's okay. um, it's it's a little bit it's it's a little bit towards the end of my rock clubbing period in DC, but it, it kind of summed up everything that that band did. Shutter to Think was this incredible. Uh, thing in dc because they were not they, they were they were transplants i wouldn't have known this as a kid i didn't know this as a kid they were transplants that um had some sort of operatic singer playing um uh, uh, singing over really angular art rock that was that was written by basically like a, a um a dude who was really into blues but had been in a punk band for a long time so it was like everything was in crazy time signatures and the chords were like completely unintelligible. It was like the weirdest music. And again, if I, if I heard this for the first time now, I'd never give it a second chance probably. But back then I just like, I got to figure out what this is. And, um, there it's genius. It is so good. And it, um, it it was like, there was a moment when that was, uh, it was like they're branching off from pop music to write a whole new version of pop music. And then nobody followed their footsteps and it just kind of, like and now you hear it and it's, it's the weirdest it's this like what were they doing and it's yeah. gorgeous it's amazing yeah hit liquor shudder to think there you go perfect track six damien favorite song from an artist from your home county oh county i wrote country you can, did, that's fine you can have country um you won't uh, be the first to misread that yeah well um tell me if this is too if, if this is if this is too um commonplace you can move on but uh i i uh did pick for for what it's worth by buffalo springfield um nice it's right now i this song has been a favorite of mine for a long time but i you know i was i was feeding my kids in their high chairs uh, uh last weekend and it came on on shuffle and it's always been a a, a sort of like a snapshot of my parents' generation, you know, like um, what it must have felt like to witness Vietnam happening and think like 
this can't be happening. Like this isn't how, this isn't the world we want to live in, you know? And I always thought of it in this sort of like faded photograph kind of way. Like it's a gorgeous song, but of a different time. And all of a sudden it's just like, um, it felt like it was, it, it, it could have been written about the right now, you know, it's like there were people, um, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of people in the streets protesting last weekend. And it just felt like, I can't believe that we live in that world again. I can't like, I can't believe we haven't made any strides since the song was written, you know? Yes. Um, it, it, it makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. And, and it, and it is, you know, I've heard so many people, you know, putting together like playlists, putting tracks on social media. And so many of them are kind of like politically charged songs from, many many years ago that still sound just as vital now do you know what i mean it's like and it's fucked up that it should sound vital now because you know we shouldn't be there do you know what i mean right i mean and as a kid growing up it did like that was the soundtrack to um war movies that happened before i uh, was alive it was like it it was supposed to throw you back to a different era not to the era you're in now you know like um yeah it's 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 pretty pretty crazy Okay, last track, you can play DJ Damien. I want to know a song that many may not know that you want them to hear. Okay. Uh, um, this, the album is called The Resurrection of the Bayou Maharaj, and the song is called um, – it's, it's the first song on it, and it's called it's, – it's a medley of – I'm going to get, the, get, get, the, get it exactly right. Let me make sure here. Uh, because it's many, many songs in a row. Um, the it's a medley of of slow down. Uh, oh man, it's so good! So, slow down, Boney Maroney, Knock on Wood, Heard It Through the Grapevine, and Classified, all in one. Um, it basically, sorry, it's it's James Booker. I didn't even say. It. I'll, I'll start this again. It's James Booker live at the Maple Leaf in in, in New Orleans um, in late seventies, and he's it's it's just a, a medley of all the of these these sort of um, hit R and B songs from the fifties and sixties, and James Booker is he's got he's just this incredible force. He's he referred to himself as 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 the Black Liberace and or or the Bayou Maharaj and, and the album from which this comes is called is the Resurrection of the Bayou Maharaj, and he it's just you you can feel yourself in this room. It's one man at the piano. 150, 200 people in a small packed little club in New Orleans and they are the backbeat. Their clapping is the backbeat of the song and and he's just, he just goes fucking nuts on the piano. He's yodeling and screaming and uh, and he's basically, he was a classically trained pianist as a kid who then um, who then like learned from the sort of New Orleans Fats Domino uh, thing and became a session player. Uh, he's, you know, had some addiction problems, and um, like Dr. John basically styled himself after him. And oh, really? Uh, yeah. Or so I've read. I, you know, I, I'm again not a historian on this stuff, but I, I the, it, it changed my life in a lot of ways. Um, after our second album, we toured for 31 months without stopping, like two and a half years without ever going home for longer than a week, and. 
um, a lot of that was opening slots for, you know, whoever was at the top of the charts then. So we do these like two or three month runs where we'd be playing in stadiums, second of three kind of thing. And you're, um, you live in a bus and you live in the parking lot of a giant stadium where you can't even like, you can't, there's nothing there, you know, it's just like the catering thing and, and you, and, um, playing the same eight or 12 songs every night. And, and it just felt like what music, like music as a job had, I had realized was like killing the thing I loved, you know, that it, the, you're not actually playing to people who you're, you're going out there every night with the lights half on for, to people who have come to see something else. And you're trying to convince them that like, Hey, give us a shot, you know? And, they're kind of paying attention and they're, you know, like, and your whole job is to kind of like sell them on the energy of the same. It's just, it's just like, I don't want to play the same damn songs again. Like, I don't like nothing about this feels like I'm scratching an itch in anyone's brain, their brain, my brain, anyone's brain. It's just like, not, this isn't what music's supposed to be. And towards the end of that period, um, I went to a, 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 a political musicians retreat basically like uh in in new orleans where they uh were, were sort of going over the state of the world and and how and how musicians are involved and it wasn't you know like i obviously no one thinks of okay go as like a particular like we're not we're not like you know uh, a political punk band exactly but the idea was like can musicians work in less of 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 a silo can like everybody's got their cause, the thing they care about. Can we actually learn from each other and be a community? And this was sort of a, a you know, it was like 20 artists who were there talking and on my way into town, I, I had gotten some recommendations on some New Orleans records to listen to just to feel the, the place. And I put this in the, the rental car, I put this record in, never heard it before. And this song came on and it just, changed who I am. Like, I was just like, Oh my God, this is music. It's not, there's no, it's like you're reminded that music is about like an experience and an emotion and, and about expression and about like connection between the humans, the playing and the humans listening. And it's not like um, the recording of a song isn't the only thing that there is, you know, like selling yeah. those recordings, how many spins you got on radio and who buying it and all that kind of crap. Like this is a man who's playing the hits of the day and they sound almost nothing like the hits of the day, but he's just, and he's just, again he's just like it's all it's all emotion it's all just like it it's sound he goes through everything you've ever felt in this one song is yodeling and screaming and crying it's oh my god it's just like i i was just like it reminded me what music is and i love it so much i love it so much. i look forward to hearing that that that, that sounds that sounds insane <laughs> it's it's um, amazing new orleans i i know i'm sorry i'm rambling on here but new orleans will uh, will will save a lot of musical souls if 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 people let it because the the tradition they have of of second line parades which is basically like everybody who has an instrument gets out in the street and and does a you know 15 20 block walk together um reminds you like it's about the the experience of it there's no they're all playing when the saints go marching in for instance the people in the front of the line can't even hear the people in the back of the line they're not even playing in the same key maybe like but everybody's just like like you're just experiencing it for the sake of being there and doing it it's like it's not about 
sort of creating this precious thing or being cool or like cracking the code. It's about being there in that moment and just like getting outside yourself by, by tapping into this thing that's all built. Like it's, it's physically built into all of us that we have these, these emotional responses to things that are much bigger than our brains can possibly understand. It's, it's so beautiful. It's wonderful. Well, before, before we start to wrap it up, um, could we just talk a little bit more about the new record? Yeah, yeah. So where can people get it? Because it's a fundraiser as well, am I right? Yeah, you, um, well, there's the, the downloads off of our site, okgo.net, are, um, are uh, donations to Partners in Health. Um, so, yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell a little bit more about it. Basically, we started writing the song based on the experience that I had listening to my neighborhood uh, cheer every night for the frontline workers basically at eight o'clock in la many many neighborhoods of la and many neighborhoods around the world people raise a cheer for the frontline workers and this was written in the moments when we were most most locked down and my wife had just just like gotten you know come back from the brink of of the unthinkable and um and i hear people in my in my my neighborhood yelling for the you know and screaming and i join them yelling and screaming and well I couldn't quite figure out what, what is this? So it's more that like, we're not just saying thank you to the, to the nurses and, and uh, you know, gas station attendants where like, there's a sense of like, you, you want to cry at that moment, you know, and it's, it's not quite, it's, it's not quite tears of joy and it's not quite tears of sorrow. It's sort of tears of, of humanity. You're just sort of like, you can't, you feel this connection to everybody else around you. Connection's um, the word. It's connection, definitely. Right? Like, that, it, that um, it, I was sensing it. I, at first, I was like, is this selfish of me to feel so, um, to feel so satisfied by this? Right? Like, that, that the, the world is in a horrible place. There are people who are having a much worse time of this than I am. Yeah, but you're experiencing pockets of, of community and, and pockets of connection. That should be enjoyed. That should be a positive in a very negative situation. I don't think there should be any reason to feel bad about that. Yeah, well, so I read a piece in The Guardian by a historian named Rebecca Solnit, which really put that in a perfect perspective for me, which is um, – her piece is called uh, something along the lines of like what hope can teach us, what, like what we can learn about hope from the pandemic. And it was that, that, um, when, that times of crisis are when we reevaluate everything. And so uh, they're, they're terrifying, but they're also really exhilarating because um, it clarifies what matters and what doesn't. And the, that which was weak just suddenly is gone and that which is strong remains. And um, strong things are not all good things. You know, there's like, there's a lot of power and, and greed and, and, and evil out there that's just getting more powerful, more greedy right now. But, uh, but the root good things in humanity that are so strong are really strong right now. You know, it's like when you hear your neighbors calling out in the, at night, they're calling out they're, they're We're all calling out to each other as much as we are to the, to the nurses, you know, it's sort of like that, I would rather stay home here and uh, and and give up everything I know, so we can all save each other's lives, than feel comfortable. You know, um, and it's a very you know it's like it's it's sort of an obvious uh, equation, but it's but it didn't it, you wouldn't you you wouldn't know that eight months ago. 
You know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that feeling that the world is small and that we're all connected and that, that um, the, the people singing from their balconies in, in Italy the week before this hit the States, I felt closer to them um, at that moment than I do to uh, people in my neighborhood who, 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 uh, who kept going to bars. You know what I mean? Like it suddenly the world was connected by a, a common purpose rather than geography or anything else, you know? And, um, totally. I, I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to get that feeling into a song. Um, it's not that I think that's the only, it's not that I think that's that feeling is what's going, is what's going to play out. In fact, it's already not playing out in a lot of ways. But um, but it is the feeling that I want to amplify, and it's the feeling that I needed to have, you know. And and as I've sort of alluded to it so many times during you know during this our talk, it like the great power of music is to do is to give you what your soul needs, you know, and and to feel things that that you can't think. And this is like a time when we all don't know what to think, but we know exactly what we need to feel, you know. Wonderful. So if people want to go and buy it. Where they got to go? Yeah. Oh, uh, okgo.net. Wonderful. Um, Damien, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank Thanks. you so much for your time. And, yeah, an, an incredible selection of songs and, and a real lovely insight into growing up in D.C. as well. That's uh, something that I was very, very fascinated by. Um, yeah, thank you very, very much. Thank you, man. It was a lot of fun. I hope, I'm sorry I'm such, I ramble so much, but it was a lot of fun. Makes my job easier. Thanks loads, mate. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. What a chat. What a man. Um, yeah, it was absolutely filled to get to to sit and chat to him. It looked very, very sunny. Obviously, now we're all recording remotely. We can all see into people's like studios and kitchens wherever they're recording. And uh, wherever about he was in LA, the sun was shining bright. It looked good. It looked glorious there. Um, thanks ever so much for listening. Thanks again to um, Damien. Thanks to Terry. Um, uh, at the PR company for introducing us uh, and facilitating that and as mentioned at the beginning if this is your first listen then go and have a rummage in the vaults because you're going to find podcasts with some of your favourite musicians, actors comedians uh, DJs, just go and have a rummage, you're going to find something you like um, and yeah and I'll be back next week so thanks once more for listening um, the best thing you can do if you enjoy this is subscribe if you can subscribe then each week a little episode just pops up on your listening device without having to do anything I'm out of here thank you very much I'll see you soon bye bye oh yeah sorry I've butted in yet again I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine it's called Pod Bible now Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts it's put together alongside Spotify and Acast and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, and there's features on Jade Adams and there's just an abundance of of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, 
then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.